0: Welcome to Be Positive, coming to you from the ninth circle of hell.
1: Which is my mother's garage. Yes. But it's it's actually quite nice. It's not it's not fiery or yeah. frozen. I don't actually see hell as
0: a place where you get owl. Yeah. There's no pain in hell because it does not exist. So what movie are we doing today? Because the title I've got for it is Everybody Has to Eat Shaving Cream Every Once in a While.
1: Uh, we've got, um, I think, a contentious one today. Yes. Because I really I really like it, I think. How
0: can you like something and not be sure of it? Um, I am sure that I hate this film. <laughs>
1: okay, no, I, I really do like it. And we'll get into into why. But the film, if you didn't get that super obscure, deep cut quote, is The Stuff by Larry Cohen.
0: Every time I hear the name of this film, I get like a, a shiver of hate run up my no, spine. No, but
1: it's, it's The Stuff. Enough is never enough. Stuff. The Stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I get that. But I watched this film three times in order to uh, develop some kind of a, an opinion on yeah. the film. The first time I watched it uh, afterwards, I was like, how long was this film? An hour and 33 minutes? No ways. That just went by really, really quickly. (laughs) And in a complete, like, daze. The one moment they're in a small town, the next moment they're in a big city. The plot does sort of mesh together. You don't, as a casual observer, which I was for the (laughs) first time I watched this film.
1: You know, if you were to pass this film on the street.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell that it is not only falling apart at the seams but it just does not have any seams whatsoever
1: that's true but i'm gonna choose to interpret that as as a bold experimental move on cohen's part
0: i guess for the sake of this podcast i also have to do that
1: (laughs) (laughs) you don't i guess we can like battle it out i don't know if that's what this podcast is
0: Sure, as long as we're positive about it.
1: Okay, well, I'm feeling real positive. That's good. Our first sponsor for
0: today is Zolo Maxiloft. Zolo Maxil, not the side effects you want, but the side effects you deserve. Banned in 195 countries around the globe. Zolo Maxiloft exclusively available in South Africa. Buy yours now. Go online to zolomaxiloft.org and enter the promo code POSITIVE for a 20% discount on your first carton of Zolo Maxiloft. Zolo Maxiloft. live a different life. All right, um, so the stuff uh, let me run you through a couple of hillbillies. They find some white goop coming out of the ground, immediately go in to e- taste it. they like, oh, this is tasty. Let's market it, sell it. Massive marketing campaign. They sell it to the whole of the USA. It's super addictive. Turns out it's alive. It's getting all up in you. Ha, ah, don't eat it. And it mow. turns you
1: into a zombie and and like hollows you
0: out. And then your head ex- implodes, explodes something bad happens to your face after that things happen corporate espionage uh, movies over the I stuff gets like <laughs> the stuff gets pack, repackaged <laughs> as the, the th- taste the taste um, which yeah and that's yeah. that's the whole movie
1: no, right? well, a, uh, so the character we actually follow through this film is mo rutherford played by uh michael moriarty
0: which is the coolest it's, surname i've ever heard yeah
1: it's a really good surname and he's an industrial saboteur, ex-FBI agent who was hired by the ice cream companies to find out, you know, what makes the stuff the stuff. Because they want to steal that recipe. They also want to get in on this gold rush for stuff. Because the stuff
0: is good for you.
1: It's actually it's marketed as being good for you.
0: We no longer get tired after eating the stuff. Essentially what happens to you is you turn into an infomercial character. You talk as though you're in in an infomercial. You're always singing the praises of whatever you're handling. There's a point where the stuff gets on the cabinet and this woman's like cleaning it off. And she's like, great tasting, good for you. And it doesn't spot. Yeah. (laughs) Which I was just like, man, you're a zombie.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how the kind of the zombie transformation begins with that kind of transitional phase where they don't become like outright cannibals. Immediately, they, they first go through this flattening out of the personality.
0: Essentially, they become marketable. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So the main thing I picked up on in this film, a theme of fear surrounding corporate media and the selling of products, turning you into the zombie, that zombie like consumer, which essentially is the perfect thing to be in
1: capitalism. I think that's pretty spot-on and I think that's made very clear throughout the film that this is targeted at consumerism and along with that the entire sort of machinery of marketing that's kind of pushing this stuff but I think it's also interesting to kind of add a little depth to that idea where the stuff is is representative of ideology you know it's all these things that we believe And that we kind of take for granted without ever really thinking about it also having our parents push it on us yeah like in the
0: stuff the film where um, I picked up on a strong sort of very authoritative vibe going on in the young boy who we meet his parents are like forcing him to eat the stuff also found it weird that he's not
1: allowed downstairs at night yeah his father Is a psychopath. Is a literal psychopath, even before the stuff starts getting its claws in him. Yeah. Actually, after the stuff, he becomes a kind of quote-unquote better father, but he's completely sort of drained. He's this empty vessel father figure.
0: Which in his case is an improvement. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's not a a borderline violent psychopath psychopath anymore. He's now just brainwashed
1: just kind of this guy
0: i also picked up a a strong connection to other body snatcher type storylines like in rick and morty the episode with unity the the entity that takes over the whole planet and sort of unifies them
1: yeah one consciousness shared by an entire planet
0: essentially and that's sort of what this stuff does to you you sort of you become one with this stuff yeah, until your head explodes.
1: That's actually a process described by Marxist theorist Louis Althusser as interpolation, which is like that process where you become assimilated into the, the kind of ruling ideology. It's that moment when you, not only when you are told that you are a part of the society, but when you believe that you are. That is like the point that the stuff forces these people into. That's terrifying. Yeah. So it's interesting that our three main characters um, Mo Rutherford, um, Nicole, the, I guess, marketer. I don't really know what exactly she does in the marketing capacity. She's directing videos, but she also owns her own company.
0: No, she does not own the company. She works for the company, but she did come up with a whole marketing campaign for the stuff. So that leads me to believe that she is a executive creative director. Yeah, that's
1: probably where she fits in. Um, And Jason, the boy child, it's quite interesting that they form this kind of Uh, almost deconstructed nuclear family as they, like, hook up on their journey. Yeah. The the unmarried couple and some dead people's kid. That they have kidnapped. (laughs) That they just essentially, like, took on. I don't really know how that happened.
0: Mo Rutherford, who I like to refer to as Mo Punches, because he really punches a lot of people. He
1: punches... Oh, that's, like, one of my favorite scenes.
0: What, where he punches the dude's face in half? No, no, no.
1: Because um, that
0: happens. He punches a man's face in half and it's real graphic. But great, because he's a stuffed zombie.
1: <laughs> okay, so there's this accident. When we first meet Mo Rutherford, when he walks in and he's greeting everyone and as he shakes their hands, he's like, oh, that's a sweaty palm. Oh, another sweaty palm. Two sweaty palms. And he just like... <laughs> he sort of establishes himself immediately as this character who's kind of unwilling to play by the rules
0: yeah he's sort of aloof
1: yeah yeah um and that shows in his characterization as well that kind of deadpan almost Brachtian alienation but there's this great he's doing his doing his whole bit and the ceo of the ice cream company says like you know you're not as dumb as you look and he says well no one is as dumb as i look and uh, as he's walking out, he tells the, the security guard like, "Hey, give my give give this to the FBI when you see him next." And he just clocks him.
0: Yeah, decks him right to the floor, uh, which is an appropriate word to use because they are on a boat in the scene. Mo
1: punches.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, what was I saying about Mo Punches?
1: I'm not, I'm sorry.
0: So I really, really like the character of Mo Punches because at first when he got into the into the film, I was like, man, I really hate this dude. Look how terrible he's <laughs> acting. <laughs> yeah, he's so deadpan. He's like not. He doesn't look like to be taking it seriously. And then I realized. This dude's just a really good method actor. He essentially has become Mo Punches. And Mo Punches is the most nihilistic bastard I've ever seen in my whole life. He does not care. Uh, I'm sure he's got a fair bit of dissonance between himself and reality. uh, Just because these crazy things happen to him. And he's just like, let's have fun. You know, and that (laughs) stupid, (laughs) stupid accent of his. Which I can't.
1: I love, I love the accent. It's um, like he's
0: trying to do an Elvis, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> not trying to do an Elvis.
1: And I think he kind of he starts real strong, like a real thick, semi-Georgia accent, and then it it kind of peters away.
0: But I th- I think that that at first, when he's got that thick Southern accent, it's really he's not. He's
1: like he's, putting on a show.
0: Yeah, he's playing the executives because he's trying. I mean, he's got a tap on them. He knows that they think he's stupid. He knows yeah. that, uh, that they don't think much of him. So he's playing off of that in order to catch them off guard when, you know, he drops the bomb that, yeah. oh yeah, I've got, a, I've got a device in your top pocket.
1: Even though you don't like the movie, I think you can agree that Moriarty's performance it's great it's so good it's really it's so good it's
0: grown on me because at first i was like man i hate this me dude. too
1: like when i first saw it i was like man this guy is maybe the worst actor i've ever seen like i couldn't tell whether he was acting the way he was on purpose yeah it, it really feels accidental the way he approaches the role
0: which uh, um, which just shows what a sublime job he actually did yeah so I picked up on two major plots, right? Mm-hmm. There's a corporate espionage plot. And then there's also this sort of hidden subplot of the precocious young boy adventure, which was a big thing in the 80s where you'd have these yeah. films of these young American boys going on these that's, dangerous adventures. I like guess that's kind Greenies. of the
1: thing that um, Stranger Things mm-hmm. is nostalgic for. Yeah. Yeah, they're that kind of referring
0: narrative. back to that looking at it from a perspective of someone trying to make sense of this if you look at what this boy is doing essentially at first he's just messing around with his family but then once they turn start turning into infomercial actors he goes on this rampage in a supermarket bashes the whole thing up. yeah all of that stuff would have gotten him in trouble then he gets speed kidnapped by mo punches
1: I mean, well the movie plays it as him getting rescued by
0: no. Yeah, but you can hear his parents going like, "No, who are you? Why are you taking my child?" Wait,
1: aren't the parents dead?
0: No, they're not dead. They're chasing him. His brother is also chasing when him. When do they die? They don't die, no, mm. at least not on screen. Really? Yeah.
1: I had it in my head that like Jason is is orphaned.
0: No, they. I mean, you assume that they die because they they've would, gone because full. They've,
1: been eating stuff.
0: they've gone full stage six uh, mayonnaise jar eaters. Yeah. You know. Really disgusting, filthy people by then. <laughs> yeah. But you never see them die. He's a runaway. Oh
1: my goodness, yeah.
0: Slightly human trafficked little child. That also shows no remorse for losing his family. He's, he hardens yeah, up that's immediately. Why I
1: thought, like, okay, well. um
0: He's Mo's child now.
1: I had, you know, when I was a kid, I had that fantasy of like just taking a bat or a stick or something and just like wrecking a supermarket yeah did did you not is this an is this like a normal thing
0: i mean you can't ask me for what's normal (laughs) right if i had to go into what my childhood was like which i'm not going to no please don't none of that was normal
1: okay that's true if any of you out there also had had fantasies of going to town on supermarket goods, give us give us a shout. And if if you didn't and you think I'm weird for that,
0: also shout at us. Yeah, I mean, mean just shout, just shout right now. Shout. Pause. Pause the podcast uh,
1: at the tone, Shout. Excellent. Alrighty. But that that was interesting to me. The kid like destroying all this stuff in the store because it shows almost the like a premature rebellion yeah. from his side where he he knows the stuff is bad and he knows it needs to be brought down but he doesn't know enough about it and he doesn't know where it comes from he can't destroy all of the stuff in the world
0: he doesn't have course. the means to
1: combat exactly the, so it's this futile act that only comes around when they eventually manage to destroy all of the stuff most of the stuff in the world
0: yeah I guess I mean I saw him um, Right from off the bat, I was like, "Ah, oh, this kid's a tiny little revolutionary, and I liked him for it. And then I mean, at the end, he does get right to the corporate heart of the stuff and gets the owners of the stuff or the boss or CEOs, I don't know, assholes
1: It's, um, it's the CEO of the stuff company and the CEO of the ice cream company because in the end they merge they merge. Uh, they merge yeah corporate merger
0: in order to get the stuff to non-toxic levels where your face doesn't (laughs) explode it's
1: just 12 percent the stuff
0: just enough to get
1: you hooked also around this, that scene where they've managed to whip the population up into a revolt. Most of the stuff gets burned, shops get burnt down, and the CEOs think they've kind of had a close call. They've made a near miss. You know, it was a little bit of a of a recession there for a while, but they're gonna bounce back with the taste now. It's time and, for a
0: rebrand. Exactly.
1: And Mo and Jason show up and force feed them stuff until they die. I no guess. they just start, well until the cops show up
0: I think what they do is they start force feeding them stuff and then those two guys or well, they
1: like eat themselves to death because yeah. it's just so good
0: because essentially at, wa- at some point their head's gonna explode and all that white goop's gonna come pouring out their face after their mouth stretched open yeah which also doesn't happen to everyone the no. people who originally found the stuff never get their faces exploded that's true Let's not get into the scientific technicalities uh, of this because I don't think we're going to find cohesion in what they're doing.
1: But I found that scene pretty interesting because it shows that they know, like, to stop the stuff, they have to chop the head off the snake, in a sense. Yeah. And, of course, the kind of karmic irony of these people putting this crap out into the world and then having it inflicted upon themselves.
0: I found a strong message in this form of um corporations getting away with a lot of stuff. They specifically mention the Coca-Cola company not having to release its list of ingredients. Now I guess right. in the eighties that's the way it was. I mean now you can find ingredients on the can of Coke, right?
1: Yeah, but some of it is still proprietary. So it'll have a name, but I right. don't know what it is.
0: Yeah, it's just a word. Yeah. It's like light it's spelled L I T E does not mean anything. No. That's a made up word. Don't drink anything with a fake word on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how I
1: roll. What's the marketing executive's name? Nicole.
0: Nicole. I really only uh, paid attention to Mo Punches.
1: I, that's completely understandable.
0: Because having hated the film, I <laughs> really only picked up on the name that was repeated every second piece of dialogue, essentially. Well,
1: you must have noticed Chocolate Chip Charlie.
0: Chocolate Chip Charlie. The only black man in the film.
1: Hoo-wee.
0: Calling him Chocolate Chip Charlie.
1: It's because he's famous for chocolate chip cookies.
0: But someone wrote that character. That's true. This is not like some real person happened to be well, a chocolate chip cookie mogul.
1: Uh, he is based on Famous Amos.
0: Famous Amos? Yeah. Who's that?
1: Yeah, Famous Amos is a brand of cookie founded in Los Angeles in 1975 by an African-American talent agent, Wally Amos. Hmm. Sweet little sack. That's...
0: Disconcerting <laughs> So Chocolate Chip Charlie Played by Garrett Morris mm-hmm. Who I loved In Two Broke Girls
1: All oh, right. Yeah That's Okay That's
0: where you've seen him before Right Does not look to have aged I mean He's got some grey hair now I think he
1: like, He reached The age he is now Somewhere in the 60s And he just kind of Coasted on that age
0: do you think he might be the Count of Saint Germain?
1: He might be. I don't know what that is. So I'm going to say yes.
0: Oh, well, let's not this is the wrong podcast to get into it, but we
1: need to start a different podcast. Another podcast. A new podcast. We need to we need to spread spread our roots, our wings, wings? our seeds.
0: We're spreading something.
1: <laughs> the doctor tells me I have to say that to every girl I meet.
0: All right. <laughs> So, the character of Nicole, played by Andrea Markovici, (laughs) she plays this high-powered executive, living the high life, you know, Mm -hmm. having the dream job that most men want. Which is
1: actually, it's pretty crazy that she's an ECD in the 80s. I mean, there are hardly any female ECDs now.
0: Yeah, but I'm going to get to why I think that her character, because this film was most definitely written by a man yeah her character is this weird fantasy of having a strong woman be submissive to you yeah she's this very strong empowered woman even with mo she's still strong and she's like his equal and whatever and then she gets to this very conservative colonel at the end and i don't know he makes an unwarranted sexual advance at her and then he keeps calling her like Baby or something, yeah. like, some, like some stupid name. And then she just becomes completely enamored of him. The way that she's played, it's almost theatrical mm-hmm. in the way that she's like, he's like holding on to her and she's like looking up at him with wonder in her eyes. At first glimpse, it would seem to be this like progressive uh, female character. Yeah. But just the way that her character progression and development goes, to me, shows that it's the complete opposite of what you would think.
1: That's something, yeah, that I also picked up on, is that the film seems to be taking this progressive, if not socialist, I wouldn't say socialist slot, but this progressive sort of liberatory, critical path. Yes. But then in like the last 20, maybe even just the last 15 minutes it completely turns around and this libertarian militia end up saving the day
0: yeah it's very strange how the film is just tapping you with its left and then it brings that big right libertarian hook straight through to the jaw to take you out
1: just like mo just like mo actually michael Moriarty. Wrote for a lot of conservative publications. Really? Yeah.
0: That's actually lending some credence to my theory, which I was not expecting. It's a
1: lot of credence, Clearwater Revival. Well, I don't know what Larry Cohen's politics are, but Moriarty is on the right.
0: It seems that I am surprisingly right about something, which.
1: (laughs) You didn't expect that. I
0: wasn't expecting to be right about anything about this film. But anyway, at first I was like, is this a renegade anarchist legion?
1: Yeah, like a group of Zapatistas deep in the woods.
0: Because they've got a red A on their shoulder. Uh, They've got a badge embroidered there. And at first I'm like, this is pretty cool, man. These guys, you know, this Mo guy, he's a rebel. Yeah. He knows the anarchists and he knows that they're there to take the corporations down. But... Turns out that they are just a right-wing militia.
1: Yeah, there's some sort of survivalist splinter cell of the military who've taken to this outpost in rural Georgia? I think Georgia.
0: I don't know how America works. I'm just going to say yeah, no. And state. also
1: the movie doesn't make any sense of location clear yeah, at had... any point at all, ever.
0: Yeah, you're sort of just watching things happen...
1: It's just happening in America. On a America. Yeah.
0: Generic America. Yeah.
1: Generica. This episode was brought to you by Generica. For 20% off your next Big Mac, go to www.generica.com slash b. That's generica.com slash b. So, But also, this militia, they
0: live in a castle.
1: They have an actual, literal castle.
0: What is up with this? This is sort of like... Um. The film is so... It's sort of grounded in realism. Even (laughs) though it's science fiction, essentially. You know, the bubbly uh, alien goop. (laughs) But then, suddenly it's like... Hey, you know what's really cool? Fantasy-setting fascists. Here you go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was a little disappointed by that. But I think... You know, that doesn't necessarily invalidate the majority of the volume. Or does it? I think it's,
0: you know how most things like racism and sexism, they, they are very much connected. A larger amount of racists are also sexists, you know, than you get non-sexist ra- racists. Yeah. So, I think this could also just be an extension of this hidden fantasy of the strong, empowered liberal woman being taken by the conservative man after being told her place i guess so it's weird power trip fantasy
1: but although she does she does still end up with mo at the end right yes but so then that's just like a really weird plot mechanic that they introduced for some reason
0: perhaps it wasn't voluntary maybe the writers are strong conservatives they Uh were told to write a liberal script okay then when they had to put in the strong character of the colonel whom the the leading lady sort of falls for because he's such a you know strong example of what a man should be they just wrote essentially what their concept of a strong american male was and that just happened to be a very conservative type of racist sexist colonel guy who owns like a bunch of radio stations also
1: yeah he's a radio mogul but at first i thought that the colonel was kind of a satire of all of those kind of masculine tropes like jack d ripper in dr strangelove oh yes was this completely psychopathic patriot who believes you know the 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 commies are trying to take our precious precious fluids, and he you know starts a nuclear war because of this paranoid belief. And I, I at first I thought the colonel was kind of like that, this sort of parody. Yes, but he's a protagonist. He's he's. He's not, the hero. He's no one's the really main... critical of him. Yeah. So it is a bit
0: strange. Mo can only be the hero of this up to a point, where. This actually comes up in even the um, the score of the film because throughout the whole first I don't know two plot arcs, it's full-on sci-fi horror music, yeah. standard stuff. Once they start this terrorist assault on the mine, where uh, the stuff essentially comes out of the ground because they are essentially a terrorist cell
1: yeah you can't they are domestic terrorists
0: the score changes to your traditional trendy action film of the day and suddenly also the mood of the film changes because it's not a horror anymore the danger is past they are now the danger they are now in a position of power now that they have this conservative colonel tough guy
1: that's quite interesting I didn't even really notice it but now that you said that tonal shift is quite clear where it It is more sort of blob horror for a long while. It's quite tense. You never know when it's going to strike again. But well, I guess at that point, the conflict is resolved. Yeah. Um,
0: And there's still a good chunk of film left after the conflict is resolved. Their plan, essentially, is to have this radio broadcast, to have this colonel who is somehow respected by all people universally to have him go on the radio Do a psa on why not to eat the stuff and just pitch the world this far-fetched notion that it's an alien invasion Mm -hmm. and then at first i'm like yeah this is never gonna work dude
1: but it works
0: it totally works
1: people start burning the stuff
0: yeah and Uh, we we find out that it works through nicole who does an ad where she uh, is publicly apologizing for her parts in making the stuff, the stuff what stuff, yeah. what it was, and then she's like, and the people did listen,
1: and they they ri- rose up against the stuff, and was like so
0: unrealistic. The movie it yeah. feels like the it's a cop out.
1: I feel like it would have been great if the people rose up against the stuff and then just kept rising, you know, it just went this bad down with the stuff, and you know, down with all corporations, and you know what. Down with uh with capitalism the stuff too. let's seize the means of the la revolution <laughs> exactly, but that's not at all what happens.
0: yeah, I mean, the stuff too was never written. We obviously need to pitch it to Larry Cohen um does he still live? He does that's good news
1: um so but I mean things essentially return back to normal after the stuff is eradicated the executives come up with a new product the taste which is 12 percent stuff uh and mixed with ice cream so the the, you know that's when the ice cream stuff merger happens
0: yeah it's just a rebrand
1: yeah and and a sort of an a black market is created for all the leftover stuff that smugglers are sort of moving around the country
0: yes because as we know prohibition does lead to smuggling and it does lead to more criminals the evidence is there
1: there's probably going to be like a war on stuff and sort of prison populations are gonna soar and it'll be used to sort of to racially target people
0: and the stuff will then become even an even greater epidemic yeah which is a shame
1: (laughs) that got really real man This episode was brought to you by the Vatican. Are you sick and tired of feeling unashamed? Do you want to get back to a more religious time? Well, today's your lucky day. You can go to www.vatican.va slash b and enter promo code STUFF and you get 20% off your first penitence. That's a whole 20% off And a whole lot less time spent on your knees. The Vatican. It's good. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I have one more thing I'd like to talk about. And that's kind of the really brave approach they took to editing in this film. Oh, yeah? Like, they looked at, you know, Hollywood conventions and... Mainstream tastes and sensibilities.
0: Recognized and, modes of storytelling. You know,
1: whatever. And they said, no, no, thank you. They took as their inspiration, I'm sure, um, filmmakers like Jean Luc Godard, Louis Buñuel, you know, even Salvador Dali, something like Un Chien Andalus, creating this sort of incoherent dream space. With the editing. Which I think people at the time when it was released probably didn't think about it that way. But it was just so, like, ahead of its time. And at the same time, too late. Yeah. Just, like, the editing
0: itself. It was too late to be a new thing. But it was too early to be appreciated by the masses. Yeah. And now that you mention it, the film is very surreal.
1: <laughs> it really is.
0: I've watched it three times, I only thinking about this now. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so, I've got um, I mean, is that were you done?
1: No, I mean, yes. I am done. Thanks. I just I'm I'm just really passionate about editing.
0: No, I get it. I I, I feel ya and it is amazing. I really did not pick up on it. And I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, please, don't. please
0: it's, don't I can't let it rest Now it's, I'm like That's, uh, dude, I that's think revolutionary Maybe
1: enough Is never I think you've got addicted To the stuff Like in I'm, a meta way
0: What if my head explodes Dude,
1: the stuff is Actually consuming you right now
0: Okay, I need to move on To The taste <laughs> So yeah. I've got one last thing That I just want to I just want to spring it on you.
1: Hit, hit me with your best shot.
0: So, in the scene where Nicole and the young boy are running from the stuff, they get into that section, which is essentially mine carts yeah, stacked up next to each other in this white-tiled, like, clinical little room or whatever, where they're going from cart to cart. And at first, Nicole is helping... Um, what's the boy's name? Jason. Jason. She's helping Jason through. But as they're progressing, he starts to help her. He starts pulling her through. And I see that sort of as a metaphor for the life cycle of your parents. At first, they're pulling you through the life. They're they're helping you. And at the end of this crucible, of this time of challenge, what happens is that you start helping them as they start struggling and you start... Getting into your stride,
1: essentially, yeah. existentially. I mean, it's like um, it's like the classical Greek myth of of the Sphinx's question to Oedipus, you know, what goes by four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, three legs at night? It's man. Transform. It's, <laughs> it's no. That was gonna be our competition. That was gonna be like tweet your answer.
0: But I won. I won that one.
1: You you won and yay. Yay. I'm very happy for you.
0: We're both happy now.
1: I think... I think this stuff might be rotting my brain away right now. Yeah, I think we're done. I think we're very done.
0: We're finished with the stuff. <laughs> the stuff... You know what? The stuff was so bad that it made me turn to religion so that uh, I can believe in a hell for the stuff <laughs> to go to once I've finished watching it.
1: And I... I still kind of like it.
0: That was what we did on uh, this stuff. That was our B positive. I hope I wasn't too much of a downer. We got super real there for a second.
1: But, um, but that's good. That's what we do.
0: Yeah, all in all solid app.
1: It's a good app.
0: You stay scary. almost forgot my own catchphrase. Was,
1: wasn't it spooky? No, you will get spooky with it. That was yours. Oh, I think my new one is. Wasn't it spooky? <laughs> that <laughs> funny laugh was
0: Music for today's episode provided by PandaDub. You can find them on Bandcamp at pandadub.bandcamp.com.